Hello, and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Francesco Colosimo. And I'm your co-host, Reese Patterson. And we are here with our guest, Sid Rancadua. Thanks for being here, Sid. It's a pleasure. So, you know, we're really happy to have you, and, and you've had some, you know, extremely, extremely interesting research. So um, tell us about that. What, what are you doing here at Western? <laughs> what am I doing at Western? Um, well, right now I'm in Dr. Adrian Owen's lab, the, um, the Owen lab uh, for consciousness and cognition. And I have uh, very strategically um, convinced Adrian to pursue psychedelic research with me, um, which, is, which is great. Um, a lot of the work that I'm doing with him now stems from a project I did in my philosophy master's. So just, just before entering the master's in neuro, um, I completed my master's in philosophy at Western. It was great. And it was very, um, it was very weighted towards topics in consciousness and, and cognitive science. And so my final paper ended up being a review on psychedelics neuroscience and kind of an evaluation of what that literature um, can offer consciousness research. And so what I'm doing with Adrian right now is very much an extension of my previous philosophy work, um, which is um, looking for higher consciousness, or at least that's the, that's the headline, that's the headline for, for news articles. Uh, yeah, and looking at the effects of psilocybin on visual processing and cognition. Those are a lot of big words. <laughs> Those are a lot of big words. Sorry, is that is that is that too big? Should <laughs> no, I no, should no. I be like simpler? I thought it no. was gradcast. I'm like, so it's only grad grad students listening to this. No, you just said lots of lots of big words. They're like consciousness, cognitive science. Then you touched a little bit on philosophy and stuff like that. Um, just as like a broad question here what aspects of consciousness are you trying to reach? So are you talking like memory? Are we tapping into like the deep subconscious memories? Like what's the, how are we influencing our brain with this psychedelic? Right, so my, my point of entry, yeah, for consciousness research is very much, it starts with kind of a, like a taxonomy issue. Adrian and Tim Bain, uh, who's a philosopher, worked on a paper uh, a couple of years ago, kind of asking the question, are there levels of consciousness? When we look at consciousness and how it's uh, measured in neuroscience, it's often described as if it comes in levels or degrees. And then, but when you start to kind of pick apart that idea, philosophically, there are issues there, um, you know, and they kind of put forward this idea that consciousness um, as an experience that uh, appears to an observer or an organism, um, might not come in levels and it comes in dimensions. Uh, but really the, the psychedelic project that I'm working on now, it kind of stemmed from this conversation I had with Adrian and it was kind of like, okay, well, if consciousness does come in levels, I mean, we know a lot about lower levels of consciousness, like the anesthetized state, like REM sleep. Um, but what about higher levels? Uh, do they exist? I mean, typically higher levels of consciousness have very much been in the domain of religion and spirituality for, you know, X thousands of years. Um, but what efforts have there been empirically to kind of find something naturalistic that we might call a higher level of consciousness? And psychedelics seemed like the appropriate place to, to start. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's so, so interesting. And um, and, and you kind of alluded to it before, but what are the specific psychedelics you're looking at? And I guess, what are some of their effects and, and how they could 
you know, potentially help us reach this higher state of consciousness. Yeah. Well, and I, I just before we go, uh, before we carry on with using that phrase, higher state of consciousness, I don't want to suggest that I think they induce the higher state of consciousness. And I don't want to, I just want to preface this uh, by saying that um, I find the notion of levels of consci consciousness dubious and kind of philosophically problematic. So uh, again, that's that's very much the media tagline, higher states of consciousness. Uh, it turns out to be a much more nuanced discussion than, than that. Um, but to answer your question, I'm working with psilocybin specifically. So psilocybin is the psychoactive component of what has often been called magic mushrooms. Um, psilocybin has kind of had a resurgence in popularity in the past maybe five years or so. There's There's been exciting research at Johns Hopkins University with, with um, end-of-life cancer patients uh, and treating their, their anxiety and depression uh, in that condition. And it's had some really promising results. So right now, psilocybin has a lot of buzz with regards to its kind of therapeutic value um, and all the benefits we might see in medical care. But I'm very much looking at it in terms of uh, consciousness, um, effects on brain function kind of kind of uh, uh, place. And so in terms of its effects, um, psilocybin uh, is very similar to things like LSD and DMT and they're serotonergic drugs. So they, they act on the serotonin mechanisms uh, in the body and in the brain. And they just produce these very interesting, very visceral bodily sensations, visual uh, anomalies, hallucinations, for anyone who's seen Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, that's maybe that's maybe one of the better kind of films that that showcases what what it looks like to be on a psychedelic and intense cognitive shifts. I think the most interesting shifts that people can experience on psychedelics are, are what's called ego death um, or ego dissolution. And it's this idea that your whole sense of being a self can just evaporate um, if you're on a, a high enough dose of a psychedelic. And what's interesting about all that or, is that those feelings tend to be very, feel really good for people and they tend to help with depression and anxiety. And so there's, there's a lot of interesting things that we found about psychedelics in, in recent years, but there's, there's also more questions as, as we learn more, there, there are more questions. Yeah, as you're as you're kind of talking about that ego death, I uh, before the interview, obviously, I did my own research because, again, uh, to our earlier conversation, uh, we were fighting over who would interview you. Um, the the ego death is it almost like um, you're talking about specific like magic mushrooms and LSD? Is this kind of on the same plane as people talking about? Is it ayahuasca, like the drug in Peru, where it? Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. it feels, it's like the death drug that like when you're dying, it releases it, but you take it and then you come back to this like plane and then people's whole lives just change. They take this drug and then they're like, oh, I don't want to be a corporate slave. I'm going to go live in the forest and I'm going to change my life. And like, I'm just like, that's yeah. so interesting how a drug could do that to your brain. Totally. Right? Totally. <laughs> it's, it, it shifts. I think, I think the best way to describe it is that it, it shifts your entire worldview and your entire paradigm of who you are and how you fit in that worldview, how you fit in that context. Um, to bring it back to ayahuasca, as you mentioned, so DMT is one of the I, kind of the main ingredient in ayahuasca and that's a serotonergic kind of classic psychedelic as well. So you're, 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 you're absolutely right. It is, it is in the same class of drugs and it is kind of 
uh, it exists in the same realm of experience. That ego death is very akin to what people have described under psilocybin and LSD. And yeah, it's this weird feeling that it's obviously not a physical death. You know, people live to tell the tale, but they definitely feel like they transcend all identity that they have. Uh, and, and they come out, uh, they, they seem to come out better on the other end, some of them. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned anxiety and depression and using this as a treatment. Um, mm -hmm. Are we going to be on some like goop, like Gwyneth Paltrow level kind of like thing where we see this as a mental health treatment or like, I know there's obviously research to be done, but do you see yeah. this in the future in like 10 to 15 years? This is going to be a treatment for PTSD, anxiety, depression, like uh, in minor and major cases? I really do, to be honest. I mean, they're kind of hip in this current culture in a way that they weren't maybe 10 years ago. Um, they're kind of on everyone's radar now. And the data seems to be very promising. Of course, like th there's, um, and also it kind of seems fairly obvious that the way we would the closest route to bringing these drugs back on the public market and back on people's radar as a treatment. I mean, there's so much stigma associated with psychedelics. The people whose signatures we need on the dotted line probably uh, were not too fond of the 60s, let's say. It seems to me that healthcare are touting these things as promising medical interventions is probably the quickest route we have to kind of changing their reputation. Um, not unlike what it was for, you know, cannabis for marijuana and things like CBD oil and, and all that stuff. Um, so I, I do think it's it's going to happen. And um, 15, 10. Yeah, we're already starting to see kind of um, to see the wind change in terms of legislation in some parts of the country uh, with regards to like how these drugs are classified legally. And yeah. And, and just last year, I believe some Canadians were the first end of life care, cancer patients were given exemptions to use psilocybin um, for their treatment. And some therapists have been given exemptions as well to implement it in their practice. So it's already starting to happen. For all the people that are in like, that are familiar with the London area. Um, I think there was an article on CBC not that long ago that there's a, there's a greenhouse in Norfolk County that's actually going to grow magic mushrooms. They obviously didn't yeah. disclose where, obviously, you know, but sure. yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 I heard about that. It's super exciting. And um, I'm really curious to see how uh, companies are going to, yeah, execute their plans. Because I mean, the, the other thing is the tricky thing is that in this space, there's always going to be bad actors. There's always going to be people um, looking to make a profit and not necessarily focused on well-being. And I, I'm not at all putting the Norfolk Distribution Center in that category, but it's also, we'll, we'll see we'll see different corporations doing different things and I'm excited to see how that plays out. Yeah, no, that that's super exciting. And it seems that, you know, those who, who study some of these substances see, you know, a really promising future for them in healthcare and, and whether that's full legalization or, you know, partial legalization for, for medical purposes. Um, mm -hmm. what, to your knowledge, what are some of the arguments, you know, against their use maybe for mental health or for legalization? You know, are they, are there a lot of ethical concerns and kind of entering, I guess, an altered state of consciousness, you know, use, using these substances? Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, great care, um, for the, 
for the institutions that do research with psychedelics, I mean, they take great care to screen people before they enter a study. And some things that they look for um, are things like, well, let's let's start with the kind of pharmacology because they're they act on serotonin systems. They're they're going to be concerned as to whether you're on drugs that act on those similar kind of receptors. Um, so people on SSRIs, people who have anxiety, depression, who are taking medication that might kind of compete uh, uh, in an adverse way, those people might be screened out. Um, people who have a family history, uh, people who have a history themselves of psychiatric or psychotic disorders, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, all these psychosis, um, those people are typically not allowed to engage in these studies. Um, and some institutions even screen out if you have a family history, like a, di a distant kind of relation to that disorder. So there are uh, definitely uh, red flags or warning bells uh, in the air for when you're looking at people and whether they should take psychedelics. And, you know, even if you're a, a quote unquote healthy person, whatever that means, um, you know, a well-situated person with, with decent mental health, let's say, um, if you're taking psychedelics for kind of well-being, self-growth, developmental purposes, it's very common to take a lot of mental preparation before you actually take the drug itself. So th these aren't um, the proper method of taking psychedelics for growth and for learning and for dealing with your kind of yourself. Um, it's a very cautious path when done right. So uh, it's not really recreational at all in that sense. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> no, no, that, that totally makes sense. And, and I heard, you know, similar things where, you know, of course you may enter a, a severe kind of altered state. And if you're already, you know, suffer from mental illness or prone to those, you know, mm -hmm. you obviously have to take precautions and, um, yeah. Well, I just I just think think about it in terms of I think we take for granted how comfortable regular waking consciousness is. I mean, isn't it great that we wake up in the same body every day that, you know, we just have the same mind and and, you know, coffee is just as good or as bad as it is, you know, in the, in the morning. Like, And when you start to play with your psychology and the, you know, the rate at which you perceive time gets distorted. And, you know, like a minute can feel like an hour. I, I just, these are really disorienting things. And when you start to notice parts of you, when you start to realize that you're slowly losing your mind and you're noticing this in real time, I mean, it's really destabilizing. Um, and so it's, um, yeah, proceed with caution for, for anyone doing them. Um, but, but under the appropriate conditions, they can be incredibly transformative and helpful and and it's i mean, even for smoking cessation there's been incredible kind of results for 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 people with addictions um i'm actually on a podcast um i work with maps canada i'm a volunteer for maps canada and we just dropped a podcast on this for which i'm the host um and but it's all about psychedelics and and science and and medicine and so this is very much where my my head is at lately so to quickly like circle back to what you're saying so you said that some mm -hmm. of this treatment is going to be used for like palliative care and you mentioned different levels of consciousness so there's like sleep where we're kind of like you know that like dreamlike state and then there's you said something about anesthetic or in a something something yeah anesthetized anesthetized kind of. yeah that's 
yeah, big word. Um, how, like, I can only speak from experiences of people telling me things like when you're on anesthetic sometimes if you're really deep in anesthetic you can have these like really crazy like dream like states and like you people can almost get traumatized from that so how mm. how can if you're going to use it for palliative care obviously you don't want you obviously want people to be comfortable when they're passing or if they're having if they have terminal cancer if they're in pain and stuff like that so how is it regulated like how you're not obviously not you're not giving somebody like a piece of a mushroom to eat right or like you're mm -hmm. not it's going to be synthesized in some way where it can be inserted into the body mm -hmm. in like an iv or something like that but where does the how do how do we regulate it like how is there how can you possibly make sure and keep it consistent so that way people react the same way or is it just kind of like a not a free-for-all but like somebody takes yeah. it and reacts well and somebody doesn't take it and then that's yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. well, well I, I might not i might not be the best person to describe this because um again this is not my area of research and i have no experience doing psychedelic assisted therapy but but it's kind of it's online and you can kind of check it out for yourself the it um the way a psychedelic assisted session essentially goes is that if you're someone who's going to have if you're if you're going to take a trip uh, essentially you're working with a therapist like a week or so in advance, maybe even before that one or two therapists, um, it might be a male and a female in the room, one or two in the room, um, depending on what you organize with them. But a week leading up to the event that you're going to take it, you're talking to them about your life. You're talking to them about the things that you kind of want to work through. Um, the issues from your past, potential traumas, or in the context of, you know, terminal cancer patients, you might uh, be talking about how you relate to your illness or how do you feel about uh, your current condition and, and the hopes for your future, whatever those may be in, in, this, in this state. Um, and so there's a lot of discussion with the therapist in advance. And then on the day of, you, you take um, the psilocybin and then they kind of lay you down. It's really beautiful. They lay you down on a couch um, and they give you kind of uh, an eye mask and they give you headphones and you listen to gorgeous music. Um, there's been incredible research just showing that I think um, the neural dynamics, the effects of psychedelics seem to be well enhanced when, when partnered with good music. Um, but through that four to six hour session, you are very much having your own uh, intrapersonal journey and someone is potentially holding your hand or there to guide you and, 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 and offer you comfort and make sure you're comfortable. And so, and typically people's, you see clinically significant outcomes of people reporting, you know, I'm not, I'm no longer anxious or I'm no longer depressed. It puts people into remission for maybe up to months sometimes. Um, yeah, uh, for just one or one session or two sessions. Um, so that's kind of how it is. Now, in terms of adverse reactions, there was a study done indicating that I think like the vast majority of people who reported having bad experiences on psychedelics still said it was very meaningful or useful for them or helpful. So there seems to be this thing where even if it was a, you know, a, a bad trip, it was still, there was still something to be gained in that. Um, so I think in terms of regulating it, all of the work, the groundwork is laid well in advance psychologically between the therapist and the participant before they actually take the drug. Um, 
but then you're right. I mean, at, at that point, when the drug is taken, it's kind of uh, you're on the roller coaster. And the only way you're getting off the ride is to just, just sit tight. And, uh, and you know, uh, they talk a lot about surrendering, surrendering to the experience. Um, so, so, yeah, but, but what has yet, I think where the research is now is that they're kind of um, a big question for the future is how are we going to standardize uh, the practice? How are we, what's, what's the therapeutic model going to be? What is, what is good practice between a therapist and a patient when doing psychedelic assisted therapy? These are questions that we'll have to confront as, as the drugs are introduced into mainstream medicine. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And I personally didn't even realize we were so close to, you know, integrating some of these um, products or, or substances for therapeutic purposes. Um, you know, obviously marijuana has come into play recently, but it seems like, you know, some psychedelics are, are, are right behind it. Um, and so that's amazing. And um, to transition into some of your other backgrounds in philosophy mm -hmm. and some of these other things, I know, you know, there's a whole, you know, philosophical debate about, you know, when you take certain substances and, and dissociate, you know, how that affects your identity and you as a person and, and kind of, you know, the philosophical areas around this. So um, I don't know if, if you know any of the research or, or readings around this, but what are philosophers saying about, you know, kind of, um, taking these substances to reach, you know, a different state or, or dissociate and those type of things. Uh, it's funny. I, I don't know of too many philosophers of, of psychedelics. Um, not to say that doesn't exist, but but I, I just don't know that many. And, and maybe that has to do with the fact that it is an up and coming kind of niche field. Um, I can mention a few. There's Chris Lethby, uh, and he focuses kind of like on the philosophy of, of psychedelics as it pertains to psychiatry so he's very much looking at psychedelic transformation and so i'll give you i'll give you an example of one thing he's he's kind of thinking about is um psychedelic transformation if you're someone who's just had a psychedelic session and you found it to be super helpful you're probably describing it in terms of you know altered reality and altered sense of self and to the cognitive scientist these descriptions are unnerving disconcerting and so um, what Chris Lethby is trying to do in his work and, and his papers are brilliant, but he talks about how the psychedelic state is not actually at odds with natural science. Uh, we can think about it in naturalistic terms and the transformation itself can be thought of in naturalistic terms. And yeah, cause there's this idea that, okay, well, a scientist might say, or someone might say, um, a materialist might say, um, well, you're lying to people to make them feel better. Um, and actually, Chris Lethby works very, uh, works very hard to kind of make this point that we're, we're shifting people's, I, I, I don't, I don't, I, I'm probably not the best person to characterize his work. Uh, but he works very hard at kind of naturalizing psychedelic transformation. Um, and, you know, it can exist very neatly and, and comfortably within modern science. And so the changes that we're seeing people, uh, it's not about lying to people. It's, it's very different. It's, it's, and it has to do with good psychiatry and good psychotherapy and, and, you know, integrating ancient wisdom and all these other things. Um, so that, that's, that's one example, I guess, of what philosophers are saying. No, that's, that's fantastic. And, um, you know, there, there's always, um, there's always been that debate, I feel where, 
you know, some of these substances that you go on, you know, you know, maybe trips as they call them or, or have experiences that are hard to define almost scientifically. Um, so, I, but there are obviously, there's obviously a way to do that and define them scientifically. And then as we talked about, bring them, bringing them into, you know, for use in healthcare and all these things. So that is fantastic. And, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, what do you think are, are the next steps um, in your research in, in the field of psychedelics? Where, where are we heading? Uh, where are we had uh, me personally in my research or just psychedelics in general? Whatever you feel. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'll bring it back to me. So my project is is very much looking at psilocybin on visual processing. I'm in the stage where I need to collect some pilot data. I need to create some tests and put it out there and see who's willing to offer up an afternoon and and their mind potentially. Um, I, I need to I need to make sure that my tests measure what I think they're measuring uh, before I proceed any further. So that's where I'm at. In terms of the global context with psychedelics, I think I think we're going to see more shifts in kind of legislation. We're going to see it being written about more in the news and we're going to see more exemptions medically by Health Canada um, for therapists and, and, and cancer patients and people with, you know, mental health disorders. And, um, and it's exciting times. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it was less than 10 years, to be honest, but that's hopeful. That, well, that's amazing. That's amazing. And um, we, we are coming to the end of our time here. And um, I was wondering if you had any final notes or anything that you'd like to mention about your research or, or anything, just the state of psychedelics. No, this was great. It was a lot of fun. Thank, thank you so much for having me on. Um, yeah. If people are interested in this dialogue, um, my organization that I'm working with, we very much tackle these questions on an ongoing basis. And so if people are interested in, in chats like this, they can check out the Maps Canada podcast um, where myself and a, and a team of dedicated volunteers, we, we come out with episodes um, every so often about psychedelics and their role in society and culture and, and you know, explaining the science to people and, and kind of um, talking about the medical applications. Um, they can check that out if people are interested. Thank you very much. So this has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Francesco Colosimo. My co-host was Reese Patterson. We have been speaking with Sid Rankadua, and this episode was produced by Hira. If you would like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, Email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Gradcast Radio. To listen to us, we are on Radio Western 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or on our podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Alternatively, select podcasts have been uploaded to YouTube at Gradcast Radio. Thank you for listening and have a great night.